This is an ABC podcast. My name is Alex Reef. I was a senior director of sales and business services. Today, I lost my job. Position eliminated. None of it is fun. None of it feels good. Monday of next week will be the first day since the seventh grade that I do not know where my next paycheck will come from. Definitely unsettling. But it feels about 200 times less eventful or traumatic than what losing your job was built up to be in my head. Once again, life reminds me the fear of failure is always worse than failure itself. Failure allows a chance to review, to learn, to ask questions, to adjust, to recalibrate, to reprioritize, to evaluate, to try again, to improve, to create. Fear paralyzes. Fear creates storylines that haven't happened. Fear steals my confidence. Fear sucks. I'm writing this because I'm absolutely fearful right now. No job, five-month-old son, global pandemic, competitive job market, confidence shot. So I hope this vulnerable post on a public forum like LinkedIn eliminates that fear just a little bit. I hope me putting it out there encourages someone to hold me accountable to move forward with confidence. I have zero idea what the next few weeks, months, years look like, but I'm not going to have it be controlled by fear. Alex's searingly honest post hit a nerve. It went viral and was read by 900,000 people on LinkedIn. This Indianapolis sales executive's experience is being repeated globally. Around 700,000 Australians across a multitude of industries have lost their jobs due to the fallout from the pandemic. Now, the word unprecedented has been bandied around a lot, but this kind of mass layoff hasn't happened in this country since the, quote, recession we had to have in the early 90s. For many, losing their job will not only be an economic crisis, but a psychological one. I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, we're going to explore the idea of, if not that, then who am I? Navigating that loss of self-worth and identity that can occur when jobs evaporate. Joining me from Singapore is sociologist Alia Rao, researcher and author of forthcoming book, Crunch Time, How Married Couples Confront Unemployment. Hello, Alia. Hi, Lisa. Alia, the economic cost to families and individuals is obvious, but what is the human impact of job loss? The human impact of job loss is that employment is really an organizing principle of our lives. You know, it's where we often meet our friends. It's what kind of gives structure to our days. It's often what gives purpose and meaning to our lives, especially when you look at people who are working, you know, very long hours, exceeding eight hours a day. So when you lose a job, you're obviously losing an income, but you're losing a way of how do you kind of navigate the world? Who are you when you don't have that paid employment? What I found in my research is that For men who lost their jobs, for example, it impacted their roles as husbands, it impacted their roles as fathers. They basically didn't know what they were bringing into their family when they didn't have that job. I've just always been someone that just works, works, works. And it sort of got to the point, I don't know, I didn't know why I just worked nonstop every day. And when my son was born, I actually ended up taking some meetings like the next day. And... Uh, At the time, I didn't realize how ridiculous that was. 
And then, you know, when your professional career is sort of just taken out from underneath you, you, you do some thinking and thinking back, I went, man, that's really, really stupid. Why, why did I do that? And you also noticed in your research that there was a difference between the impact upon men and then upon women. What was that all about? It's like our gender stereotyping is even haunting us in job loss. Very much so. I mean, I actually argue that it's making it in a way that the gender stereotype really rears its its face during this kind of unemployment period where families grapple with, well, how do you sort of organize yourselves in this moment of uncertainty? And what I find is that for unemployed mothers, instead of sort of being an unemployed person, which is like a, you know, seen as defective in our contemporary society, they could be stay-at-home moms. Dads, I found, unemployed men, didn't really have recourse to that identity. They were sort of unmoored because for them, being fathers were so linked to providing an income. Former sales executive, now full-time dad, Alex Reef. You know, one of the big things that I think a lot of people are going to struggle with and they aren't going to be able to identify that they're struggling with it is how do you redefine what success looks like through a transition period that you didn't really ask for. When you're in a job, you have different metrics or performance criteria that defines what success on a daily basis is. Or you start a career and you have this level that you want to reach that defines success in that career. And there are so many people that are having those things taken away that their identity may be wrapped up in or that they have defined, this is what success is going to mean to me. And through this transition, it's going to be really hard for a lot of people to look at redefining how they set up those success metrics or those, those levels of success because they're going to be totally different. And I just really hope, you know, what I'm challenging myself with and I hope other people do is that as individuals, we all have our own ability to define success. And it doesn't have to be defined by outside sources. Alia, do you think that there may be less stigma around unemployment because of the sudden mass layoffs? Yeah, I think so. I think what we're going to see is what we know with periods of contraction, which is what we're going to basically experience now with the recession that it seems is inevitable following um, COVID-19, what we'll see is that the economic impact actually on people who lose their jobs will likely be, be much worse, right? Because people are not necessarily hiring. Mm. It's not an, a time of growth. But because so many people are losing their jobs during this time, that the social, what we call the social norm impact effect will actually be much, much less. So social psychological costs we would expect based on prior research, for example, during the Great Recession, will probably be lesser. It's happening to so many people, and it's so clearly not your fault. And I think certainly this would continue for a while. But after a while, as sort of expansion happens, and if you're still unemployed, that's when we might start to see this kind of idea of like, well, maybe you're defective. And so taking all of that, what can be done um, if you were a partner of someone who had just suffered job loss as a man and then as a woman? What I found in my research was that with unemployed men, their job loss was treated as this sort of urgent problem in the family, even when men hadn't, for example, earned the bulk of the household income. And what I would say is that there was a lot of pressure. 
unemployed men had a lot of pressure to get reemployed as quickly as possible. And I would say if there's a way that you can allay that pressure, that you know job searching is something you're doing, but that if there's a way couples can figure out how men can contribute to the household, that's not just about providing an income. I mean, that's a really tall task, right? Because your identity, your sense of self is so bound up in providing. It's a really tall task. But I think if there's a way you can do that, then that would be helpful. And for unemployed women, I think the fear there is that unemployed women's sort of paid work will be completely disregarded. You know, that it'll, it'll sort of be like, well, you can just be a caregiver now. So to try to avoid that a little bit. And what I found is that unemployed women often didn't have the support they needed to find jobs. What I mean by that is that, you know, their time was not protected to job search. Their time was seen as, well, you're at home and you're unemployed. So obviously you'll take over all the housework and so on, which was not the case for unemployed men. Thanks, Alia. Sure. Alia Rao, Assistant Professor of Sociology at Singapore Management University and author of forthcoming book, Crunch Time, How Married Couples Confront Unemployment. My name is Sylvia Regos and I formerly worked for one of the big four consulting companies and I am now independently consulting as a business growth advisor and executive coach to high-performing individuals. I mean, I did make the choice. However, when I did leave the corporate world, I still entered a period of quite uncertainty. And for those who haven't had the choice to leave their work and have been made redundant, particularly during these times, it is a very unsettling period, can spark, you know, quite deep emotions and anxiety during that phase. And I went through it too. It's a very dark time for some people. And it's really important to surround yourself with a couple of people who can support you through that transition. Um, I certainly had three people that surrounded me during that time and who supported me in uh, specific ways. And they helped me get through uh, what was uh, quite a dark period of where you actually do lose your identity, you do lose your source of income. And uh, it's, it's a very difficult time and you're grieving, you know, the past and what was. Um, but you're also in a time of, in a way, nothingness because you're not quite sure what you're heading into. So that part of the transition can be a little bit dark for some people. Sometimes they call it the dark night of the soul where you lose your identification of your previous identity. And especially if you're attached uh, to your work, it can be quite a difficult time. My name is Deirdre Dowling and I live in Paris in France, normally. I've been living there oh, since 2006 and before that in Holland since 2001. I'm a freelance classical musician and it was very clear from that beginning time of April that all work for musicians, including classical musicians, would be cancelled for basically an undetermined period. And I think at first, like for many people, none of us, I guess no one knew what was going to happen and how long it was going to last for. So most of my energy was taken up with making fast decisions, 
do I get on an aeroplane and come come to Australia before borders close or not? What do I do? How do I do it? How do I set things up in Paris that I can leave and potentially leave for a long time? After a while, I think for the first couple of weeks, I actually found myself sad and I wouldn't say depressed, but there was definitely a form of grief, of grieving for a loss of a life that I know and realize now, only now as I reflect on it, that it was a life that I'd really chosen, choices about moving to Europe, living in another country, in another culture, speaking another language on a daily basis, traveling a lot for the tours that I do, these classical music tours where you rehearse a program in one city and then basically you go on tour for a couple of weeks playing in a different city every night. And I didn't realize until now how much that's a part of me and a part of my identity that at the moment has basically died in a way without sounding too dramatic about it, it's a part that's not expressed. I heard um, a friend of mine was talking to me the other day about a fellow called Joseph Campbell who's talked a lot about the power of myth and story. And I think he talks a lot about when you're in a good space, when you feel alive, it's when your inner and outer realities match one another. And right now I realise I find myself in a space where my inner reality, some of it is being matched by the outside world, by living in, I'm now in my childhood home, in the home where I grew up, with my parents helping them. I'm reconnecting, of course, with a lot of Australian friends and colleagues. But there's this other part of me, another part of my inner reality that is not matched by the outer reality. And yeah, I think it's in that lack of matching that we feel this unease Uh, and that there's something, there's a part of you, certainly I feel there's a part of me that for now has to die, has to become dormant because it just literally cannot exist. I knew because I had the right advisors supporting me that it was a normal feeling. If someone had not told me that it was normal, it would have been even more difficult I did sit in it for about three months. But then after that time, I started to feel a spark and I started to feel a little bit curious about and excited about what could be next for me. And I I did move out of that dark phase and head into a period of, you know, being curious about, well, maybe what, what can I do next? Maybe this is an opportunity for me to really explore what my next vision is going to be for both my personal life and my professional life. And it was a great opportunity for me to pause and to take stock of what I want to leave behind and what I want to take with me, but also what I wanted to create for the future. So I did move into a very exciting period of exploration, but I needed to go through that dark phase for a little while to grieve the past, to acknowledge that some of those things weren't working for me, to allow me then to step into a more positive phase where I was exploring new things for me. There are a lot of people at the moment who are in industries where potentially they may not be able to step into a similar role. The advice I would give those people is to make sure 
what you decide to step into next, um, it may require a level of reskilling. But my advice is don't jump too soon. Spend a little time thinking through what you're passionate about. Spend a bit of time thinking through what will be more sustainable for you in the future, both personally and professionally. Work through that first. Don't jump too soon. Um, for those who um, are financially stressed, I think it, it is important to probably balance finding some form of work to get some income coming in, but balance that with spending some time working through what you may want to do next and think to the future around jobs and the future of jobs and what the industry is requiring for the next three to five years and look to a level of excitement around reskilling potentially and pivoting and making sure that you remember that you've got some fantastic transferable skills that you can take with you into that next phase and don't forget about those transferable skills because they're very valuable. That was Sylvia Rigos, business growth advisor and coach. Joining me now on This Working Life on Radio National to delve a little bit more into what's happening in our heads when we suddenly lose our jobs is Jenna Koritz. Jenna is a clinical psychologist who specialises in the mental health challenges associated with high-pressure careers, and she's based in Boston. G'day, Jenna. Hi, how are you? Good. We've just heard from a couple of people who've had a very sudden existential crisis because of work loss. What advice do you have for others going through that, Jenna? What tends to get lost sometimes for people who are going through a challenging time, especially around work or job loss or financial constraints or problems, is that there tends to be an inward focus on the problems and we can't sort of see anything else. So, you know, it's sort of a thought mm. about all these litany of problems. You know, I don't know where my paycheck's going to come from. You know, I have to provide for my family and now I can't. I feel badly about that. I'm nervous about the future and what it holds for me not having a job. But there also needs to be an and to that. So there are all these things that are going on that are difficult. And I'm also a resilient person. And I know I can get through this. It's going to be very hard, but I'm going to figure out how. It's hard to see what opportunities lie when all we can see are things that are very, very difficult. And I think in some ways, the existential piece makes that easier for people because you get a broader strokes sort of perspective of what am I doing with my life? What's important to me? What are my values? What do I want to incorporate, incorporate into my day-to-day, -day, my career when all of this is over? Um, and that's not to negate the, the difficulty of the situation by any means. But I think when we combine those two pieces and have an and clause after the problems and the difficulties, I think people tend to remember that they are strong individuals and they you know, can get creative and figure out what to do next and how to manage. You mentioned values. Is there something practical we can do to re-identify our values and where we stand with them? Yeah, that's a great exercise. And everybody tends to do that a little differently. I think... A, the simplest way to do it is to really evaluate what is important in terms of what do I want to spend my time doing from a day-to-day -day perspective. So, you know, just logistics, um, maybe how you want to spend your time divided up, what, what do I want my days to consist of, and then taking it a little bit further in terms of, okay, I know I want to spend, let's say, you know, I don't want my job to be longer than eight to six. And so what do I want to spend that time doing? What's important to me? Um, one 
sort of silver lining of the COVID epidemic is that it allows people to sort of slow down a little bit, whether or not they've lost their job um, and sort of take a step back. Like there's nowhere to go. Uh, you know, there's no one to see, there's no school to take kids. There's nowhere, you know, there's no place to be. And so all of those outside activities are no longer there. So it allows us time to spend with our family. It allows us time to think about, how, oh, I, maybe I would like to have a hobby. What did I used to like to do? Um, so it gives a little bit of space to sort of reevaluate those things. Um, and so I think if you start sort of small and kind of think a little bit broader over time, and and one thing people tend to forget is that they get a little bit uh, anxious when they can't identify what the thing is. So I, I don't know what I want to do now with my life or what my next job should be or what my next career move should be. But oftentimes they can figure out what they don't want it to be. And that's just mm -hmm. as valuable. So even if it's just like, well, I definitely don't want to work 100 hours a week. I don't want to work in corporate law. I want to work on helping people in some kind of capacity. I don't want to work by myself. You know, those don'ts are just as important as the do's. And so it process of elimination can be helpful in that as well. I think one alternate perspective that I feel would be important to add is that well, it doesn't maybe look that way, like everything is an opportunity. Uh, and so how can we use something that's difficult to make opportunity for ourselves? And a lot of times that requires getting creative and doing things that you wouldn't necessarily normally do or wouldn't necessarily normally consider, but you're in an extenuating circumstance. So that makes sense. So one example is, um, you know, people are saying, well, I'm laid off from my job and I don't, you know, a lot of people aren't hiring. So that's very scary. And it's now it's extra competitive. And that all is all true. But you never know, like, who's going to lead you where. This is a quick story. One of my favorite stories is there was um, somebody that we saw for a while who was in a startup business, and he had like, two weeks of money left. And he was really upset, like he'd gone to thousands of interviews with VCs and things like that, angel investors, and he couldn't find anyone to fund his his startup, like to for the next whatever the next round was. He was so upset about it. He was talking about it with everyone he knew, including his mailman. So he like just happened to run into his mailman. And he was like, Oh, this is what it is. And it's so important. It was some kind of I forget, but it was some kind of medication biohack kind of thing. He's like, it's going to save so many lives. And I just, I don't know why people won't fund it. And he didn't know this, but the mailman also delivered mail to this other guy who was an angel investor that our person, you know, our client didn't know. And so when he delivered his mail that day, he told this angel investor about this company and they ended up getting funded. So, I mean, those are just like sort of the crazy things that happen in life. And so sometimes things really interesting, good things can come out of situations that feel excessively hard and impossible to navigate. And so again, not to negate how difficult it is. But if we're thinking of and clauses, this could be a great opportunity for something kind of unusual and unexpected to happen that might actually be great. Thanks, Jenna. Clinical psychologist Jenna Koretz. Thanks for your company today. Tune in next week when we take another approach to dealing with the current crisis. We explore at-home biohacks to help you stay on track in these crazy times of working from home and school at home. Will they pass our scientists' research filters, though? And you may want to check out our previous two biohacking programs. Just search in your podcast app. And if you like the show, please share with your friends who might need to hear it right now. This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle. This week, she's in a suit. Mm, hope she doesn't have a job interview. 
I'm Lisa Leong. Until next week, keep working. Um, I honestly, for me, I think it strengthened my sense of identity from the standpoint of it's really ridiculous for me to look at it as I'm defined by a profession or a career. I'm defined by the way I treat people. I hope that I'm defined by the way I make people smile and laugh. I hope I'm defined by the way I love my wife and care for my son. That's who I am as a person. When things such as a career and profession are sort of stripped away, you actually can realize, man, I can figure out something else. It may not look like what it was, but the reason I can figure out other things is because there are relationships in place. And those relationships give me security about what my future looks like with uh, my son and my wife. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.